Yeah, so it's, um, it's actually nice for me to be doing this again. Um, as was mentioned, I disappeared for a little while. Um, so I've been battling with Lyme disease for about a year. Um, and I got the diagnosis of that in November only. So since I realized what it was I was working with, I've started getting better to the point that I'm able to kind of do something like this. But um, it's been a real inwardly focused period, I would say, that I'm coming out of. And, you know, if we want to talk about life not really working out the way you thought it was going to, um, that came out of nowhere. You know, it's not something that I had planned either. And, um, and it's been easily the hardest thing I've ever been through. I would say, you know, let's say I've been going through this for like six months. I would say even like if you took any one week of those six months, that would have been like the hardest week of my life, you know, but it's all those weeks together. So um, there's a lot of lessons in there that I don't think I can unpack tonight, but yeah. So as you guys know, my name is Seth. I'm actually from Andover, which is where Circles of Wisdom is from. So I was uh, Andover's first monk, first Buddhist monk from Andover. Uh, and this was the first spiritual shop of Andover. So this has been like a long time coming for me to be able to sit here and share a little bit. So thank you all for being here and giving me the opportunity to kind of like link up with the energy. Um, so as a introduction course, I guess, even though it seems like we have some various practices going on, uh, I can talk a little bit maybe about my journey with meditation to give some context. And that started when I was in college. I met a Buddhist monk, and he gave a talk. And everything he said, it really spoke to me. I didn't really know what it was that I was going to. Uh, I wasn't a religious person, but I guess I was a spiritual person. And the talk, it really touched me. And it really made me feel seen and understood. And it gave me a context to understand my own life as well, which was cool. So, you know, after the talk, I, I went and spoke with this monk, and he came back uh, every few months. And he told me, you know, meditate every, I think it was like every Thursday. Um, you know, from 6.30 to 7. So he gave me this as like my assignment, you know, once a week for half an hour. And also to create a space. So in my bedroom, I took like a little corner of my bedroom and I went to Home Depot and I cut out like a piece of carpet that fit there. And I got a salt lamp and a little Buddha statue, you know, and a, and a cushion. So I made myself this little corner and that's my meditation corner. Uh, that was super helpful, I would say, to be able to leverage kind of the space in my bedroom in a way that it got me on that cushion easily, right? Even if I didn't sit there for the rest of the week, just to be able to sit there that once, it was really helpful. But also because I had that spot set up for myself, I found myself sitting there a little bit more often, right? Um, just whenever I felt like I needed it. So. The way that he said to do it, he didn't give me a lot of instruction. He kind of just said, sit, close your eyes, relax. And he, you know, this was ended up being my teacher. He had, we'll just call them like um, 
powers, I'll <laughs> say it like that, that he said, I'll send you energy at this time. And I was like, okay, I don't know what that means. But so I'd sit with my eyes closed, uh, I'd start sitting, you know, maybe 10 minutes or so before the time. Um, so, you know, if he said 7 to 7.30, you know, I would start sitting at like 6.50. And I would just sit there and I'd be thinking, thinking, thinking and kind of really restless and, you know, my legs would be hurting and I'd be kind of in this weird place. And uh, yeah, without fail, when it became around 7, and I would know that it was 7 because I started to see kind of like flashing lights in front of my eyes. Even though my eyes were closed, I was seeing this kind of like flashing light. And then I felt this tingling throughout my body and I started just to feel like peaceful and relaxed. And it would kind of be this wave of this energy coming through me and then it would eventually go and I would just be sitting there kind of almost like out of breath, like, whoa, what was that? And I'd look at the clock and it was like, you know, 7.30, like so. So it really, he sent energy for half an hour um, once a week, which was incredible. It's one of those things that I didn't really know was possible, but my spiritual journey has taught me a lot about what is possible outside of what I thought was possible. I guess we'll say it like that, right? Um, what I liked about that was it got me on that cushion once a week, which was a great way to start practicing, was just to start once a week, really small, really easy. He was giving me something, so it's not like I had to do anything. It was like very receptive. What I didn't realize was, A, the one problem with that is that it was making me dependent on him, right? Somebody giving me something. But also, uh, what I didn't realize was that there is a key to meditation embedded in that situation. And when I graduated college, I went, so his monastery was in Germany. I went to Germany and I spent some months at this monastery and I said, you know, uh, this feels good and it feels meaningful and I ordained as a monk and then I lived there for eight years as a monk. So I spent my 20s as a monk in a monastery. Um, and during that time, I you know, got to meet the Dalai Lama a bunch of times and Thich Nhat Hanh and all these different teachers from around the world would come through. Uh, and it was just this really enriching, beautiful experience, right? But um, we would meditate every morning at five in the morning, right? So I'm not a morning person. I don't know about you guys. Like I, I haven't used an alarm for a while. My natural wake-up time is around eight o'clock. Um, but so five o'clock, it was a struggle, right? So I would go and I would sit and I'd be tired and you know my back would be collapsing right as I'm sitting there and, I'm, uh, and like we had some little monks there and they would sometimes actually fall over and start sleeping out they couldn't handle it uh, very cute but um, what I realized after years I mean it took me years I would meditate every day but I never reflected on my practice I just did it. Uh, and we had this one teacher, the Karmapa, and I saw there's a book of his in the other room on the clearance rack, so I'm probably gonna get it before I leave. Um, but you know, he kind of said once when I saw him really simply, is kind of like, you know, is your practice making you like happier and more relaxed? And we were kind of like, uh, no. <laughs> and he said, then you're not practicing right. He's like, practice is supposed to make you feel more relaxed. And I realized that I I had been efforting too much, that I had been trying to do this thing called meditation that I had heard about or that it seemed like other people were doing. And um, only later on in my kind of 
monastic career, I met this other teacher, Acham Brahm, who's um, he's a, originally English. He went to Cambridge University and studied you know, theoretical physics, and he was this brilliant guy. Went to Thailand, ordained as a monk, and he's one of the foremost meditation masters in the world. And uh, he came and did a retreat at our monastery, and I said to him, you know, I'm, I'm having this trouble meditating. I'm sitting here, but my mind is still racing. I still feel like restless and it's not working. What should I do? And he said, well, why not just throw the whole meditation out the window and just sit there and relax? And I said, but, you know, well, how, you know, but how's that going to, you know, I want the deep stuff. And he was like, why don't you try not meditating and just sit there and relax? And I said, okay. And I, you know, sat down. So like the first day of his retreat. And I started to relax. And then my mind started thinking. And, uh, and I said to myself, relax. And then I said, but if I relax, how am I going to meditate? And I said, no, just relax. I said, okay. But I mean, if I just don't do anything, though, how is it going to work? I said, no, just relax. I go, okay. But like, I don't do anything all day long and I'm not meditating, why is that going to work now? And I said, just relax. So I felt that my mind didn't trust. I had this doubt that's like, if you don't do something, you don't get something, right? This is like what's drilled into us, like in our society, you have to do to get. Uh, maybe not even social, maybe this is just like a practical thing, like you have to do something to get something. You have to you know, grow the food to eat it, you have to hunt, to eat. you have to do things to get things. Um, meditation, however, it is the opposite of anything we've ever done. It goes in the other direction. Because everything we've ever done, it goes outwards. Meditation, it goes inwards. If you've ever seen, like, um, who's ever seen a bell? So if you ever seen like a bell, right? So there's the bell and there's the little thing hanging in the middle, the little dangly thing, which I'm sure has a name, but does anyone actually know the name of the dangly thing in a bell? Clapper. It's like, huh? Clapper. The clapper. Is it really? Mm -hmm. Okay. Clapper. So the clapper and the bell. So you ring the bell and there's the clapper, right? So there's that little thing inside and it sends the sound out. If you've ever seen a Tibetan bell, which are like these singing bowls we have, you hit it on the outside and the sound goes in, right? So that's like a pretty cool example of that, right? Is that meditation, it's something that's going inwards. The, okay, we're going to get to like the juicy stuff now. These are like the monk secrets. This is why you came, okay? So, It's hard to put this into words, so I'm going to do my best. We are multidimensional. And I don't mean that in like a circles of wisdom spiritual sense. I mean like we have our, the, the furthest dimension that we have, we can even say gross and subtle, okay? So the grossest, the furthest out dimension we have, we can call that our lives. Um, and we can even go farther by calling that your possessions. And possessions meaning your things, like your car, your bedroom, 
but your relationships, your job, your positions, all of these external things. My father passed away a few years ago, and we're still dealing with his things. There's still like things that belong to him that we have to deal with, right? So even though he's gone, these things are still there, these things that were his and he identified with, and if someone tried to take or throw out, you know, we had like 20 flashlights, and my mom's like, can I throw these out? No, we need, you know. But now we have to throw away all these flashlights, right? So our external world, all these things, right? This is like this outward dimension is all the stuff, okay? So if we take a step inwards from that stuff, we have our physical body. Okay, does this make sense? So the external, it's like these things that are associated with you. Then we take one step inwards, and we've got the body itself. Okay? When we, are, we have the body, and now we take a step in from the body, like if you close your eyes and you turn inwards, what's inside of there is you have your thoughts and your feelings. Okay? Through meditation, what I've learned is that the thoughts are more uh, gross. If we, again, gross to subtle. So the thoughts are more gross. Because when you start to sit in meditation, the thoughts can actually go away. But then the feelings are still there. So the feelings are more subtle than the thoughts. So if you then sit with the feelings, then slowly when the feelings start to open up, feel lighter, feel more peaceful, get even more subtle themselves, then the feelings even start to disappear. And then what's left is this awareness, right? There's like a presence. There's a sense of just beingness, right? There's a sense of just like, I am just in this space. I'm floating in space. What then falls away even deeper is that feeling of I. That suddenly there comes a place where it's not that there's this me in the space, that there's just space and awareness. And then eventually even the awareness kind of gets teased. So the space goes and it's just the awareness. So ultimately, when we talk about ourselves, we say we're human beings, right? So the human stuff is all of my possessions and relationships and roles my stuff out there. My humanness then is my body. My humanness is my thoughts. My humanness is my feelings. My sense of self, me, right? My humanness drops away gradually until all that's left is the being, the beingness. Right now, this is like one of these Zen questions. As you're looking at me, ask yourself, who is looking at Seth? Try to experience yourself behind your eyes. <coughs> can get kind of trippy when you go back there. It's like, whoa, what is that? What is that beingness back there? So this just sense of beingness. If we want to talk about like, um, and I hate this word for meditation, but our goal for meditation, I hate that word because it gets, we, we misuse it. But that sense of being, just being, that's the target. 
That's where we're heading. When we meditate, we close our eyes. And because you've closed your eyes, the room drops away, right? So all the stuff drops away. Then you start to relax, the body drops away, then the thoughts drop away, then the feelings. And suddenly there's just this beingness. And it's so peaceful. It's so energizing. It's like cooling. I don't know how to say it. It's almost like when it's like a hot day and you like get into a pool and it's like, ah. It's like a feeling of like relief that goes through your whole soul. It's amazing. Yeah, my teacher, Achim Brahm, he said it's better than sex, even though he's been a monk since he was, you know, he's been a monk for like 50 years, but it's like still, it's better than sex. Um, but it is. Because the first time that I personally experienced that state, I realized that everything that I have ever done in my entire life was to try to feel that sense of wholeness, right? That sense of completeness, that sense of contentment. Everything we ever do is to try to reconnect to that feeling of just everything is deeply okay. The way that we try to get that feeling in our normal daily lives, though, the Buddha says it's, it's impossible because everything around us, he says it's impermanent, it's not, there's no self to it, there's nothing that you can keep, you can't take something and keep it forever, something's going to happen to it. Um, one of my friends, he was sitting in a ceremony um, in Guatemala a few weeks ago, I just spoke with him last night. And he said that there was this moment that he was sitting there and he felt a sense of like competitiveness come up in him. Like everyone's sitting and he's like, okay, I'm going to sit. and I want to have a powerful experience too. And he felt this feeling of competitiveness come up, but he suddenly saw, oh, this feeling isn't me. It's not even mine. It's just like a conditioning. It's just this feeling that was conditioned into me by my society and the people around me. And there's just this feeling moving through me, and then it's going to leave. And it has nothing to do with it. It's not, I don't have to do anything about it. It's just there, you know? And it was such a cool reminder for me because when I was in the monastery, it's like that was my experience a lot of the time is that you would feel a feeling and it would just move through. You don't grab onto it, you don't make it something. I think there's a word called like reify. To reify something is to make something that's not something into something. So if there's a feeling that's just passing, you grab it and you react to it, right? This is like the trigger culture that we're in these days, right? Make our feelings into something. Versus if there was, um, if we were sitting here and there was suddenly like a loud bang outside and we'd all jump, how quickly could you let that go? So they've done studies with Tibetan monks, and they see that for Tibetan monks, they, um, they have like a little shock thing. And they say to the monk, I'm going to touch this to your finger and give you a little shock. You know, and they measure the monk's brains as they do this. And the monks are like, oh, OK. You know, and they, they give him a shock, and they move it away. And they found that as they're coming in to give the monk the shock, the Tibetan monks, their mind is calm. Their brain is just chill. Then they get the shock, and they have the spike in activity. And then right away, it goes back down, and it's chill. And then they did the same thing to a lot of other people who don't meditate or practice. And they said, OK, we're going to give you a shock. 
as soon as they say we're going to give you a shock, those people, the brain already went up there. The expectancy of that shock, and then the actual shock happened, and then the brain stayed up there, and then afterwards, then all the thinking, the oh god, oh that hurt, all those, making it making it more than it was on both ends, right? So we worry about something before it happens, then the thing happens, and then afterwards we obsess about it, right? Versus just boom and then it's already over. One of my favorite stories to tell is at the monastery, we were next to a train track, and um, we would sit there in morning meditation, and there's this old nun who sat in the corner, and when the train would go by, you know, we'd be sitting there, and you'd just hear, and you know, we'd have the windows open, because it was like hot, and she would, this old Vietnamese nun, she would get up, and she would go over to the windows and start closing them because of the noise. And I would, in my head, um, probably wasn't the kindest thing, but I'd always say, like, that's so stupid. Because by the time she got up to close the windows, the train had already passed. And there's not a train coming until we're gone out of that room, so it's not like it's going to happen again in two minutes. It's like trains don't, you know. So it's like that. It's like she was reacting to something that's already gone, but she made it into something and had to go and do this big action, and she didn't get to meditate, right? So. A lot of this practice, like for people that feel anxiety, right? People that feel a lot of worry, nervousness, right? Worry, I've heard it's like being, like worrying, it's like being on a rocking chair. Yeah? You're doing a lot of work, but you're not getting anywhere. Yeah? Anxiety, it's the feeling of not being safe right here, right now. There's not even necessarily a reason behind that. It could just be your nervous system. It could just be a habit, right? It could just be because we haven't trained ourselves, learned how just to feel comfortable and safe, like everything's okay. And speaking from experience now, you know, I have been carrying a, around a lot of trauma from the, the Lyme stuff that I went through. Went through some horrible, horrible, horrible nights and days and. And, um, and I had weeks of time where my nervous system was just triggered and stuck in fight or flight mode. And, uh, and, and my body didn't feel safe. It's, that's the craziest feeling, to have my body, my heart palpitating and everything. To have my body not feel safe, it's like my whole universe was like danger, you know? And it was work, it was work to sit with myself and to really ground myself, and I'd practice like Qigong, and I would get massages and acupuncture, and uh, there was a point where I was taking two to three showers a day just to keep bringing my nervous system back down to say, it's okay, it's okay. To train myself, you're safe, you're safe, you're safe, you're safe, you know? Um, so, meditation, the the tricky part about all of this, and again, without sounding too like Zen, it's like, because there's like the doing without doing, so to say, right? That if you want to get to that state of beingness within yourself, how do you get there? And again, this teacher, Achim Brahm, when I said to him, like, I'm having trouble meditating, and he said, oh, just throw it out the window, just relax. The next day, I was like, can I make a video of you? Like, I was the videographer for the monastery. I was like, can we do a little video that we can post on, on YouTube and people can watch it? And he goes, sure. And he 
grabbed a cup and he goes, so, like, so kind of like riffing off of what we had talked about, he's like, so the simile of the cup, he said. And I was like, all right. And he's like, so you take a cup, pour water in it, and he said, and now you want that water to become still. So he said, so I'm going to hold that cup and I'm going to hold my hand as still as I can. And he goes, will that water ever get perfectly still? And I said, no. He's like, but what if I really try to hold that still? And I said, no. He's like, what if I really, really try to hold it still for a long time? Right? I was like, well, then you're probably going to start shaking and it'll make the water even more, you know. And he's like, so how do I make that water still? So I ask you, how do I make the water still? Put it down. Put it down. Leave it alone and don't try it. Put it down. So if I put it down and I leave it alone, what does that water do? What if I put it down and then I go, is it working? Am I meditating yet? But it's not, it's not working. I can't meditate, forget this. Right? Put it down and leave it down. What happens when you put that cup down? The very first thing you'll notice, probably, is that there will be movement. The water will move, right? There's the inertia. And it requires patience. And also, it requires trust. We don't acknowledge that it requires trust because we've just learned through physics that's how things work. You don't have to get out of bed in the morning and trust that you will walk on the ground. Right? You don't have to trust that gravity is working today. We take it for granted because it's there. Right? But it's actually trust. You have to trust that if I put it down, it'll stop because I know from my experience that's how it functions. So the mind works the exact same way. What meditation is, it's not learning to do this thing called meditation. It's not like I go rock climbing, I go swimming, I do yoga, I meditate. It's not an activity. Meditation is the absence of activity. Meditation is learning how to have a hands-off approach. It's learning how to just allow the beingness to be and letting everything else just kind of slowly drop away. And it is the easiest thing in the world to do because it's already who you are. But it goes against all of our conditioning, all of our habitual behaviors, our training. So it requires that trust. So what my impulse for us this evening is, is that we're going to sit in meditation. I mean, I'd like to give you guys like a real dose. So I would even want us to sit for like 20, 30 minutes and really go into it. And I'm sure when I say that, some people are like, what? That's too long. Like first timers are just starting. It's okay. Do it. Do it. No, you do it. <laughs> no, don't do Stop it. Stop shaking. I, I can't stay still that long. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? So that's where the trust comes in. And that's where the understanding that, listen, we have all been conditioned for our whole lives 
to not sit still, to react, to do, to try to fix. So as you're sitting there, you're going to notice, maybe, maybe you'll sit there and you'll just feel relaxed and you'll be like, oh, this is great. Maybe you'll fall asleep a little bit, yeah, whatever. It's been a long day, right? But maybe you'll sit there and you'll feel like antsy, right, or nervous, or uh, that's okay. But what's important is to say that's okay and it's not personal. That doesn't mean that I can't meditate. All of us can meditate. We all have the same nature. We're all the same. Right? If I have three balls in my hand and I roll one really hard and I roll one medium hard and one I just push gently, right? The gentle one's going to stop first, the medium one's going to stop second, the one I push really hard is going to stop last, but they're all going to stop. So maybe some of you are already at the point where if I just give you some gentle meditation guidance, you're going to drop right in, no problem. Some of you are going to take a little bit longer, some of you are going to take even longer. But you will all stop because at the end of the day, we are all just beingness with all of this crazy movement and conditioning around it. So it takes time for that stuff to burn out. Sometimes it takes years, right? I was in the monastery for eight years. It took me two years until I'd wake up in the morning without a song playing in my head. For the first two years, every single morning I'd wake up and I'd have a song playing in my head. It took me two years of not listening to music for that to burn out, to that to finally shut up. Yeah, and there was nothing I could do about it. I couldn't rush it, I couldn't force it, I couldn't yell at myself. I just had to let that ball roll and stop feeding it until it starved. Yeah, and that's all that it is. If you really want to meditate and you want to build up a meditation practice, right? So this is just the session today. There's another one next week. There's another one the next week. There's four of them. Yeah, I'm going to brainwash you as much as I can, right? I'm going to try to slow down everything as much as I can. And if you want to meditate beyond that, or you want to maximize those sessions, you're going to want to really look at your life because you only have one mind. It's not like we come in the circles of wisdom and now we get meditation minds, and then we go back in the car and we're back to normal minds. Yeah? Like I have meditation classes that people come and they chill and they're like, ooh, and then they're like afterwards like, hey, like wanna go grab some drinks? And you know, it's like, okay, but you're, you know, it's like if you want that ball to stop rolling, you can not, you can have a hands-off approach in this room, but then as soon as you leave this room, are you pushing that ball again? Right? Because ultimately, this is going to be a very peaceful night for everybody. This is like my job to make sure we all feel good. But ultimately, we want this to be a longer term thing, right? Don't we all want to feel happier in our daily lives and we all want to feel peaceful, more peaceful? Right? That's like a normal thing. Like we all, we want, we're here because we want to feel better. We, we hope that this can do something for us in a, in a more substantial way. And that starts to happen because we start to realize in meditation, if I'm sitting here and I'm worrying the whole time about you know, a relationship that I'm in, then that is kind of like a little flag that says, hey, your relationship is taking up a lot of your mental space. You don't feel 
comfortable or secure in that, why don't you deal with that so that your mind can let that thing go, right? Or I'll be sitting here um, and I feel really insecure because I feel like everyone else is meditating and so much better than me and I can't do it. You know, and it's the same thing. It's like, okay, then that's a little flag saying, I spend my life comparing myself to other people and then judging myself based on what I think is going on, right? Identifying these mechanisms. Maybe I need to stop doing that in my daily life a little bit, and the next time I meditate, that mechanism won't be running. So if you kind of like see a little bit of like where I'm going with this, this is what makes it like a lifelong practice too. Because you sit in meditation and oftentimes you're not being peaceful, you're seeing why you are not peaceful. What is the thing I'm worrying about? What is the mechanism that's running? What are the things that are keeping me from being peaceful? And slowly working towards calming those things down in the daily life. So the meditation, it's like the litmus test, right? The litmus strip. We, in the meditation, we're checking in. How am I doing? Am I agitated? Am I angry? Am I sad? Am I angry? What's going on? And if there is, then in our daily life, that's when we start to adjust things. And then we get back to the meditation. How am I doing now? We go back to the daily life. How am I doing now? Right? So the meditation, it's just this arena where we can check how the mind is. And simultaneously, we're learning the skill of letting go, of letting things pass through, move through, which also bleeds outwards into the daily life. That the more you learn to release and be and relax, the more in daily life situations you don't get triggered as much. You're really able just to be present and even make new choices. Oh, that car cut me off and they honked and the guy's yelling at me and shaking his fist. That's his story. I don't need to respond. I don't need to be like, that guy's a jerk. Now I'm like, you can just let that guy, non-stick frying pan, let that guy just slide away and keep driving unfazed. Right? Oh yeah, I learned in meditation. I don't have to listen to my thoughts. I don't have to, any situation that doesn't really concern you, let it go. You know, so it's kind of like that, right? So we're learning the wisdom of how to work with the mind in meditation and simultaneously we're learning about our own conditioning and behaviors that keep the mind in an agitated state, both. So I think I've overloaded you with information, which is always a good thing. So with that, we're going to get into the actual meditation practice. So for the meditation, I'm going to ask you to sit with both feet flat on the floor. I want you to feel stable. That might mean that you have to slide forward or backward in your chair that that makes sense. Sometimes like it's not about like laying back in the chair, but it's almost like sitting towards the front of the chair and sitting upright. Um, if any of you feel like you would like a blanket behind your lower back or something under you, there's some blankets there in the corner. So posture is important. It is good to have like a nice upright posture. Um, also like this question about my back hurts if I'm sitting too long and stuff. That's normal. That can happen. That A maybe just means we need to stretch a little bit more. We need to strengthen our back muscles in daily life. And also, once you get into deep meditation, the body disappears anyway. Because there comes a point where you're never going to find total comfort anyway in your body. The body is just a sensory you know, organ. <laughs> the skin is a sense organ. 
we have a nervous system. We're always feeling something. Yeah, it never goes away. So there comes a point where you just have to stop listening to the body and just drop in with the mind. So sit in a position that feels comfortable and stable for you and just see what that means for yourself. And being in a group, right, we also realize that all <coughs> of our, um, our energy affects each other, our movements affect each other, right? Like you hear like Leo like doing stuff and I see everyone like looking over like what's happening, right? So it's like, so through the meditation, if you have to like move or shift or something, just be mindful that you, like, you are in a room of other people, so just do things slowly. It's also good for the meditation. If you need to like adjust, just do things slowly. That keeps you in the state, but also being mindful that we're all sitting together is good. Right? So when you're ready, you're going to close your eyes. Okay? So you're say goodbye to the world and turn into your internal world. <laughs> 